Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. My guest today is Deanna Schaas, who is a writer, marketer, and interculturalist in Chicago, Illinois. She founded Intercultural Talk, Inc. in 2006 after completing her master's degree in anthropology and marketing. Intercultural Talk is a marketing consulting firm that specializes in digital, intercultural, and real-life marketing. Before that, she worked in city government, creating exhibits and events for 80 million travelers through O'Hare and Midway airports. And as head of marketing for Jewish Child and Family Services and JVS Chicago, she provided brand management, social media, and marketing strategy to serve 31,000 people across 40 social service programs. In addition to speaking English, she speaks Portuguese, Spanish, and French, and is a certified aerobics instructor. Welcome, Deanna, to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Tell us about Hanukkah. What is the tradition? How do you celebrate it? And why is it important to the Jewish community? Hanukkah is also called the Festival of Lights. It is uh, an eight-day festival where every night we have something called a menorah, and you light a candle each night. So the first night you would light one candle, the next night you do two. And so each night you light an additional candle until you end up on the eighth night, you've got eight candles lit. The significance of the candles goes back to the time way back in the days when, and this is where actually Carolyn, I should tell you, I am 100% Jewish and believe in all the holidays and everything. I'm what's called reform Judaism. There's sort of three different levels of Judaism and each one connects at different levels with the very specific traditions that you might find, let's say in the Torah or the Bible. So when I tell stories, it's often very anecdotal and I sometimes get some of the dates and facts wrong. So you'll get the spirit of it, I swear. I just couldn't tell you what year, but it was back when the the temple, like the temple had been desecrated and there's something inside every synagogue called the eternal light. That is a light that has to be lighted 24 hours a day, every day of the year, because it's the symbolism of the light of God. So that light cannot go out. Back in the olden times when the synagogue had been desecrated, there was only enough oil left to keep that eternal light lit for like three days. However, it would take eight days to be able to get to the next biggest town, get more oil and come back. So, you know, they took off, they went to go get the oil. And the miracle of Hanukkah is oil that should have only lasted three days, lasted eight days. So that does two things, Carolyn. One thing is, it is why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days. But the other thing is, it's the idea of the miracle of God. And so when we look at Hanukkah, it's really embracing the idea that miracles do happen, that God is with us and that God, you know, that God sort of cares for us. So that is in a nutshell, knowing that any of your listeners who are historical sticklers will be like, she didn't name the temple, who desecrated it and what year it happened. But that should give you an idea of why we celebrate it though in the main idea. You also asked, what were some of the things that we do? So we light the candle every night. We also play the dreidel. So the dreidel is, technically it's probably sort of a gambling game, but the dreidel is a top that has four symbols on each side. You spin it 
And depending on what it lands on, you might have to give all your, your coins in, you might have to give some of your coins in, but we usually don't play, you don't play with real money. You play with, um, that's why sometimes you'll see those chocolate coins this time of year, because you play, it's a kid's game. You play with the dreidel, you use chocolate coins to kind of bet or win with that. But that's also another tradition that we would do during Hanukkah. What is the symbolism of the game? Oh, good question. You know, that I don't know if there's specifically symbolism for that. I was going to say food is always such a big part of every holiday. There's a couple things that you do for food for Hanukkah, which are things that you cook in oil. So latkes are a big deal. Latkes are potato pancakes that you would fry in oil. Those, I think, tended to be the tradition in the U.S. In Israel, they do something that's called sufganyot which are uh, jelly donuts that are fried in oil. So food that's fried in oil is also something that is significant for Hanukkah. What's another tradition? So we have a tradition in our family. This started with my mom, which of course is my my son's grandma, where actually, uh, Carolyn, I'm going to interrupt myself to explain something. Because Hanukkah happens at the same time of year as Christmas, the two holidays in sort of social, you know, social awareness have gotten conflated. They're actually pretty different. And the idea of gift giving was not necessarily always something associated with Hanukkah. So for example, in our tradition growing up, my mom always did $1 per candle burn per night. So when we light the candles on night one, you'd get $1. Night two is you get $2. Uh, night three, which was last night, you get $3. So that's how my mom always did it. And that was something more than this, the whole idea of gift giving. I think the marketers, and of course, you know, I'm a marketer. So kudos to the marketers who (laughs) who were like, buy, you have to buy now. Um, You know, that idea of the gift giving was not as big of a thing in Hanukkah. It certainly has become that way now because the timing is so close to Christmas. Last year, didn't it coincide more closely with the dates? I know it moves a lot. Why? It does move a lot because it is based on the Jewish calendar and the Jewish calendar is based on the lunar calendar. So when you're talking about the lunar calendar, it's, um, yeah, that's why. So it follows that that calendar. Uh, So it's always the same day. And here again, someone's going to listen to this and be like, how can she not know the specific month and day? It is actually the same month and day if you're using the lunar calendar. But when you compare that to the, um, you know, to our our U.S. or, or most Western Europe, the calendar we use, it varies. Which is why this year it's it's almost on top of Thanksgiving. And then some years you'll find it almost on top of Christmas. So that, that's why that will vary from year to year. I want to go back to the gift giving. Three of my grandchildren attend a school that has a large Jewish population. And so at the at Christmas time, like this, this time of year, the school always presents a holiday pageant. And the kids sing... Christmas songs and some Jewish songs and then just winter holiday songs. I haven't noticed any any kind of conflict with the Jewish kids singing the Christmas songs or the Christian saw a Christian kid singing some of the Jewish songs. Now you're a reformed Jew and I would think that 
you may not object to that, but the more conservative might have a problem with that. So I do think it's a, it's a personal decision. I would say this, someone who's raised Orthodox, so the three different areas of Judaism, there's reform, conservative, and Orthodox. For someone who is Orthodox Jew, which is is by far the most traditional, they're likely not in a in a they're likely in a Jewish school anyway, because part of Orthodox, even your daily education, does involve learning the Torah and reading the Torah. So so chances are they are actually in a school that is specifically for for uh, for Jewish people that are studying and learning together. You know, that's that's an interesting thing. I find that in the world today where we have so many different cultures that are blending together everywhere, that it's pretty common to be respectful of each other's of each other's cultures. And if yeah, and I think my hesitation is I, I clearly cannot speak on behalf of all Jews around the world, but I think we live pretty much in a secular society. And the tradition at the holiday is these different pageants with different with different music from different cultural backgrounds. You know, part of me would wonder there's, you know, there's a Kwanzaa happens this time of year. That was a holiday that developed from African-American community. There is holidays that are from a Muslim faith. So it might be something that schools wanna look at how do we make this a multicultural interfaith celebration? And that's a great thing because the more that people learn about different cultures and learn about each other, I think the more that we all uh, break down barriers and, you know, kind of confront stereotypes. And that's good for everybody. I'm really happy that they're learning about different cultures and about different religions. Yes. And I think it's really important because at the core, a lot of our religions all still have the same God and, and some of the same, the same values, just a different approach to how we manifest that. Carolyn, I do want to address one thing because it's along those lines, and I find it fascinating when I hear this, this whole issue of when someone says happy holidays, and then people think that that is, or I've heard that some people say, oh, that's an, an attack on Christmas. So I am in the happy holiday camp, but the reason that I'm in the happy holiday camp is because for me, it's out of wanting to be respectful to you because I don't know what you celebrate. So if someone says to me, Merry Christmas, I'm going to assume they celebrate Christmas and I will likely respond with, oh, Merry Christmas. But if I don't know, I'll usually say happy holidays because I don't know what they celebrate and I'm trying to be respectful. So I agree with uh, you. In fact, I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I know they're Christian and I know they celebrate Christmas. I will say Merry Christmas. But to yeah. my Jewish friends and my Muslim friends, I'm going to mm -hmm. say happy holidays. Because the greeting is not about you. The greeting is about um, providing that joy or sharing that joy with someone else. So, you know, by coincidence, this is just very funny, Carolyn, that for the vast majority of my professional life, I have been in charge of the holiday decorations for <laughs> uh, Newbury Street in Boston, the entire street I was in charge of, uh, for the uh, Department of Aviation in Chicago for O'Hare and Midway Airports. I was in charge of all the 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 Christmas holiday multicultural however we did it all the decorations during the holiday season so I thought that was kind of funny <laughs> in fact I mentioned that in the introduction and I am in awe because I've been through O'Hare at Christmas time and it is spectacular you you did a great job 
Oh, thank you. And we did all kinds of things to be very inclusive. So for example, we invited all the museums. There's so many cultural museums in, in the Chicagoland area. And so we would invite each museum to decorate a tree from their museum. So we would get these these trees with um, the trees themselves, of course, have their own historical tradition, but each museum would decorate them with items that were indicative of the culture that their museum uh, represented. I really appreciate your insight into how we can continue to educate our children to become accepting and welcoming of all cultures. You know, I think, Carol, I think it's a really important point. And one of the things that we can do with our children and as adults is to do things that put you in the space of being the other. Because what you're talking about is, you know, in the U.S. where we have, you know, white Americans are the majority, that it's very easy to be, and I would say sort of white non-Jewish Americans are the majority. So it's very easy to find yourself in environments where where you are the majority and where people think like you. And it is really important to get exposure to other ideas and to other cultures just to learn, but also half the time, someone who says, well, I, I don't, I don't know that I like Jews. You know, if someone says something like that, oftentimes they actually haven't met someone or didn't know that somebody was was Jewish. You know, I hearken back to going to college at Indiana University, and it was not uncommon for people who had come from smaller towns in Indiana, where I was the first Jewish person they'd ever met. And it was interesting just hearing that because they're like, oh, you're just kind of fun and normal. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's people don't know what they don't know. And one of the things along those lines, Carolyn, that is important that for years, because I'm Jewish, but I'm also white, it's very easy for me to hide my cultural identity if I wanted to. So for example, someone who's a person of color, you see their skin as soon as you see them. You can't hide who you are, whereas being white and Jewish, I could. What I found is that so many people approach multiculturalism by trying to explore the other you've got to start with yourself. So it was important for me to embrace my Jewish identity. And if people said, what's your cultural background to say, oh, I'm Jewish, because unless you know who you are, you've got to be confident in yourself. Because if you're confident in yourself, there's no reason to be threatened by other people. It's just, oh, I do it this way, you do it that way. But it has to start with that self-awareness. When I was a little girl in first grade, there was one little girl in my classroom who was Jewish and her mother and father owned some sort of a store. And I don't remember exactly what kind of store, but I always, you know, we played together. I sat close to her in school. I just thought of her as a little girl. And oh, by the way, she's Jewish. It didn't make any difference to me. I don't remember anybody in our class ostracizing her. She was one of us. She was our playmate. Fast forward to my high school, and I don't know of there being any Jewish people in my high school, or I didn't know. I have found out since that there were, but like you said, they just kind of blended in and didn't identify themselves as Jewish. And I only knew of one family in the area who was Jewish. This man, again, owned a Ben Franklin five and dime, was just the most gregarious person. And my husband's family 
worked in that store. So it was just, you know, just another person that we knew. It wasn't until I went off to college that I really began to realize some of the differences. And I remember soon after college started, there being a holiday where we had days off from classes because of Rosh Hashanah. And I was like, what is this Rosh Hashanah thing? I've never heard of it. And fortunately for me, as I've grown older, I've met more and more people who I know are Jewish or who came out and said I'm Jewish when they introduced themselves. And so I've been blessed to know a lot of people who are Jewish and who have celebrated and, and shared with me about their faith. So again, I think a lot of people's acceptance comes from knowing people of other faiths and cultures from when you were a child. And I think this is one of the reasons I'm so glad that you're with us today, because I'm hoping that grandparents can listen to this and pass along positive things to their grandchildren about other faiths and cultures. And so I guess specifically, I would like to know, are there any things that you can recommend to grandparents to read or to do or to help their grandchildren learn about the Jewish faith or other cultures? And if grandparents themselves have a tinge of, I'm not so sure about this, what can you say to help them feel more comfortable interacting with people of different cultures and faiths? Okay. So a couple of things on that. One thing you bring up where you said then you noticed like in September, like there were days off and, and there was Rosh Hashanah. Uh, that is a really interesting note because because of we talked about this before how Christmas and Hanukkah have gotten conflated. Most people think that Hanukkah is this really critically religiously important holiday for the Jews. It's actually not. It's actually not. It's wonderful and it's a great holiday. But Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, is an important holiday. I would say the two most important for Jewish people, one is Yom Kippur, that's the Jewish Day of Atonement. That is once a year where actually between Rosh Hashanah, God opens the Book of Life, and you've got 10 days to be inscribed in the Book of Life where you're wanting to ask God for forgiveness for your sins over the past year, but actually anyone that you've offended. You can't just get forgiveness of, of, from God. If you hurt someone's feelings, you need to ask permission from that person. So that time of year in September, and again, with the lunar calendar, it's usually September, October. That's a really critical time of year. The other time that's really important for Jews is Passover, which is in the spring. And that celebrates the Exodus when the Jews had been slaves in Egypt and our freedom, are leaving Egypt into freedom. That's a really big holiday. Just to, to, you know, what you had noticed, that's something too, is to not make assumptions, but this idea of what you're doing right now by asking questions and asking, you can ask questions of people who are Jewish. There's so much information out there now that you can also just find a lot of information online. So as far as things that grandparents could do, I don't want to bring things down to this idea of cultural tourism where you're just enjoying the food and the holidays. And there are some people who will say that can be a detriment to cultural understanding because then it too simplifies a religion. That said, I do believe that these sort of cultural, I call them cultural expeditions, are a good way to at least start to learn about a culture and for exposure. 
So things that you can do with that are clearly restaurants. Now, here's something interesting. If you want to take your grandchild out to a Jewish restaurant and you're like, why is it never open on Saturday? Because Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. So most Jewish restaurants will be closed like Friday night and Saturday till sundown. But you can go to different restaurants. Purim is a really fun holiday that takes place in March. There's always Purim fairs where you get to dress up and go uh, and eat homentashen, which are these really delicious triangular uh, cookies. The triangle is the shape of the villain's hat for that holiday. You could go to your local synagogue and go to the Purim carnival. In fact, a lot of synagogues right now have Hanukkah parties. And for many of those, they're open to the public. So grandparents could take their grandchild to these activities that the kids would love. You can also, because of the internet, oh, this is fun actually for grandparents and grandkids who can't be together in the same city. You can do virtual tours of Israel, which is really cool. So you can actually both be online at the same time, share screen, and there's different virtual tours that you can do of Israel, of historic locations in Israel, of the museums. So you can even do those things together. And then as the grandkids have questions, the biggest thing a grandparent can do is realize it's okay to say, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Let's find out together. Oh, fine. You know, admitting that you don't know not filling in with assumptions and then using that as a chance to discover more together is a, is a wonderful idea. Carolyn, I do want to share one other story with you because I find it interesting when you were talking about high school and you're like, I think there were Jewish people. I'm not sure if there were. So don't forget is that because you're outside of the culture, you feel like, oh, I don't know. And maybe I should, but I got to tell you, sometimes the Jews don't know. And I'll tell you why. I had the funniest experience just recently. I went to my 40th high school reunion. I'm Jewish. I kind of thought there weren't that many Jews at my high school either. Most of my Judaism was experienced on the weekends at my synagogue. So we're at the high school reunion. And I was asking a couple of people who I've known since kindergarten. I said, oh yeah, I forget what kinds of activities you were involved in at school. And they said, Oh, I was part of the BBYO, which is the B'nai B'rith Youth Organization. It's a Jewish youth organization. They said there were about 30 or 40 of us who met every morning before school in the <laughs> library. I was like, what? Like, I had no idea that there was a group of Jewish students meeting in the library every morning because it didn't match. Like I was on gymnastics team or I was doing other stuff. I had no idea. And And I'm just laughing. You can't see my face, like the incredulity in my eyes, because it's like, wait, you're kidding me. So even within our own culture, we don't always know things unless we ask, you know, ask and share. I thought that was funny, though, like just realizing that there was that whole world. I didn't I didn't know either. So (laughs) I'm Jewish. (laughs) Yeah, I think sometimes people are afraid of offending other people. So we don't ask. And I liked your, your comment about being honest with grandchildren and saying, you know, I don't know, let's look at this together. Let's investigate together. And so the Mm -hmm. kids pick up on an attitude, like, it's okay not to know, but let's go someplace and find the facts. And once you live in a fact based environment or society, life is better for everybody. 
Yes. And it goes back to, you're absolutely right, Carolyn. And the other thing, it goes back to the idea of owning who you are first. So, because sometimes someone could find it off-putting if you're like, why do you do this? What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? You can also approach it from a point of curiosity for someone who's not Jewish to say, you know, Christmas is so important to us. I know, I know Hanukkah is, is around the same time. And I realize this is exactly what you're, Carolyn, you are practicing what you preach because what I was about to say is you can then say oh is Hanukkah this what's Hanukkah like what what do you see as those differences and that's what you've done by inviting me to be on and talk to you you've done exactly that I don't understand what this is let me share what we do you know what's that like for you oh thank you I really do try to be understanding and accepting and inclusive that's how I've always tried to live my life and it's the the attitude that I try to instill in my children and I'm working with them to help instill that in there you had mentioned when you were younger the idea that oh they were just one of us we're kind of all the you know we all got along we're in school together and that is very common to try to find the commonalities that's kind of like almost like the first entree into multiculturalism What I would say is that going just going a little bit beyond that to recognizing the differences and then realizing what each person brings is even better because the reason being that, for example, my Jewish identity is a is a big part of my identity. So by saying, oh, we're all the same, let's just get along, it kind of it kind of negates the the I'll say me because I'm speaking for myself, but it kind of negates me or it negates the person who is there. It's the idea when people say, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> you know, we yes. do. And that's okay. <laughs> we do see color. We do see difference. And that's okay. It's, you know, there's this idea of does the difference make a difference? So certainly in, in elementary school, the difference probably didn't make a difference if you're studying math or whatever you're doing. Uh, but, but also realizing that we get a of real richness when we do acknowledge that people have different um, different ideas, different approaches, different cultural backgrounds. And that's the difference 60 years makes. Today, my grandkids are learning about these different cultures and it goes beyond, oh, you're Jewish. I never even thought about saying, well, what does that mean? I accepted it. And now my kids' society has grown and now we're teaching about it and we're allowing the Jewish kids to talk about their traditions and the Christian kids talk about their traditions and the Muslim kids talk about theirs. And so that has gone beyond what it was 60 years ago. I loved going to my friend Debbie's house for Christmas um, because they would make like, oh my gosh, like the mac and cheese. They would do all kinds of stuff. And my friend Debbie's mom's house always it's like, as I remember it, it looks like it was like gold. Like she always just had these rich brocade fabrics and things like that. And the food was so good. I loved doing that. Just as it's very funny now that we're all connected on Facebook last year around Passover, there were all these people chiming in. It was like the past, the past Deanna's Passover guest club, because (laughs) my mom's tradition growing up every year on Passover is that each of us got to invite a friend to join us, presumably non-Jewish, because the Jewish kids would be at their own seders. So yeah, so we would each get to invite a friend to have dinner at our house for Passover. And it's fascinating all these years later 
to hear what an impact and how amazing that was for the friends who had the opportunity to come to that dinner. They still remember it and they just love it. I am Catholic and I remember at church years ago, probably 10, 10, 15 years ago, the priests at our church decided that we were going to also learn about the Passover and why that was important. And he arranged to have a Seder meal. And it caused quite a stir in our church because the mostly older people thought it was just horrible that here in a Catholic church, we were going to do a, a Jewish tradition of Seder. We said some of the prayers and we had the little, you know, little bits of food or I don't remember all the details. I just remember the effect of this was so powerful to feel a part of, of a Jewish tradition, even in such a small way, but it was opening our eyes to something outside of our Catholic tradition. Well, what's interesting is I understood, and now you can correct me if I'm wrong, I understood that the Last Supper was actually a Seder. Yes, it was actually, it was. I, I don't yes. remember where. Okay, that's what I thought. You know, you bring up a really good point. I know I'm kind of mixing subjects, but in a hopefully a wonderful way, what grandparents can do. Um, one is exactly what your synagogue did. A lot of cities have interfaith councils where it's the council of the Catholic, um, you know, the Catholic priest and the rabbi. A lot of groups have that now because religious leaders are realizing how important it is for different religions to convene. So you might even have, I know our interfaith council in Chicago, they'll do, it's the interfaith council, you know, we're gathering coats for immigrants or so there's a, a, a component of giving back and some sort of service, which is a common theme among many religions is service and giving back. But grandparents can actually ask their own place of worship if they are involved in these interfaith councils and then are there any activities coming up that they can participate in? That's a great example. I think that's more common in larger communities. I live in a rural area and- okay. You know, there is no synagogue close mm. by. There is no, you know, Muslim church close by. It's all mm. little Christian churches. Do you know what? Do you know what you might be able to do? I did this. Um, I did this years ago, and it was a letter exchange. So this was even before the internet, and it was actually with students who lived on the north side of Chicago, which is more, which is much more white, and students who lived on the south side of Chicago, which is primarily, at least the neighborhood we were working in, the African American, and we did an exchange where first they exchanged letters with each other. And then we actually arranged for both groups of students to get together. But, you know, that actually could be something, Carolyn. Now I'm going to challenge you, Carolyn, to talk to your church and see if you could come up with maybe some sort of like pen pal program with a synagogue and a mosque, even in other cities, and that it could be a way for you to, um, uh, to just start those exchanges. And maybe it is through the religious school, you know, maybe it is through the kids, but why not initiate that uh, just as, as something to do? Because now with the internet, you know, there's really, they don't have to be nearby. So maybe you won't get together physically, at least for the time being, but you can do Zoom calls, you could do letter exchanges. 
um, we used to do something called, now I'm going a little bit broader. We used to do this. My husband's from Brazil. So I'm also, I'm in an interfaith relation, uh, marriage, by the way. My husband was not raised Jewish. We raised our son Jewish. And it's funny, my husband now is the one who's always like, are we going to synagogue? Oh, that's but why we used to Portuguese. do an exchange. Yes. <laughs> e por isso que eu falo português. Com certeza. Yes, I do. Um, I do. Um, but, so we did exchanges. It was called City in a Box. So the kids, the students in the U.S. would put together a box of everything of what their pop culture was like. So pictures from magazines. Maybe they'd put in an outfit that someone would wear to high school. They would put in comic books that they liked. So it was City in a Box of everything, let's say, that a 14-year-old loved right now in Chicago. And we shipped that box down to Brazil. The kids in Brazil did the same thing and sent one back. So oh, it was even based on pop culture, but it was a lot of fun. And it was the way um, a recording of dance music, you know, or a video of kids and what dances they like, you know, you think, oh, that's different or, oh boy, that looks like fun. Uh, so it was really a way to peer to peer, not about like, let's get really serious and talk about religion, but let's look at what our holiday foods are, or let's look at what, you know, what things I'm going to get in trouble with for my parents, you know, <laughs> things that, that all kids will happen. Um, and then that, that interfaith or that intercultural background is just, is just there. So it, that's a way to really break down some of the barriers as well, because most of the issues that we have in common are probably beyond just what our religious differences are. We still want to love our kids. We still want to live in a world where people aren't hurting each other or that people, we still want respect. I mean, there's so many of those things that all the religions want and aim for. We may just approach it in different ways. I've always felt we have all people have more in common than we do differences. When you look at the heart and not material things. Yes. But you know what happens? It's how we manifest. I am so hyper aware of this because I do trainings in diversity and inclusion. And we talk about the intersection of culture and communication style. One of the things that has to do with culture and how it influences communication has to do with pacing. So when you talk to someone, there are people who overlap, like there's people who overlap and almost interrupt each other. There's people where one person talks, stop, the other person talks. There's others where you talk, there's actually even a pause in between, and then the other person talks. None of these are right or wrong in and of themselves. They are just the way they are. So in Jewish culture, if we look at us as a cultural tradition, we are very fast-paced. In fact, when I married my husband, there's a book, it's called Jewish as a Second Language. We gave it to my husband. And one of the lines says, one of the lines in the book says, by now you've had a good 20, 25 years to finish your sentences. Get over it. <laughs> they said, if someone doesn't, they said, if someone doesn't interrupt you, it means what you're saying is boring. So <laughs> One of the yeah. issues I have with the podcast is because we don't do video, you can't look at somebody's body language to see if they're finished talking or if they're about to talk. And so sometimes there's overlap and interruption in my in the conversation, which actually drives me nuts. I always feel bad about that. <laughs> you know, I do a show, it's called Intercultural Spark. It's about the spark inside you that sparks people to spark, you know, to drive change in the world. And even when I'm on video, because it's a live stream, 
part of my cultural heritage and my influence, if someone says something really interesting, I'm probably still interrupting them. I have a, well, you know, we have a mutual friend, you and I, Jerry Witkowski, who's a 93-year-old grandparenting activist. And Jerry religiously watches my show. And the one feedback he gives me every week, he'll be like, yeah, you you were interrupting too much this week. <laughs> or he'll be like, you did a good job. No interrupting. <laughs> and I'll be like, Jerry, it's because I was so excited about what they were saying. <laughs> That's actually, believe it or not, that is influenced, that is influenced culturally. And that is part of my Jewish tradition. If you get a whole bunch of Jews in a room, we're probably all talking at the same time. <laughs> Other people from the outside might be like, how are they even hearing or anything? If you ask any of those, let's say five Jews afterwards, we could probably all recite what everyone said and what was accomplished at that meeting. <laughs> it's because we're, that's just how it works culturally. <laughs> I have a friend who comes from a large Jewish family. She has like four or five sisters. I would, I've never talked to her about that, but I'm definitely going to ask her how that goes. <laughs> that is funny. Their, their house is probably pretty, is pretty loud. You know, that harkens back to, um, Jewish tradition and and how Jews learn. So I worked for a number of years. I was the head of marketing for Jewish Child and Family Services. And so even as someone born and raised Jewish, the our local Jewish Federation did a tour of Orthodox Chicago for all of us so we could really understand the differences. So as a Jewish person, but reform, going in and seeing the Orthodox community in Chicago was like visiting another culture. But one thing I found interesting is we went to the Hebrew Union, which is the, the college for training uh, rabbis, and we go into study hall, and it's very loud. Everyone's talking. The person giving us the tour pointed out that is very Jewish, that in many universities, you're not allowed to talk in the library. You're not allowed to talk in study hall. Jews learn by debating. So for any piece of Torah, which is the first five books of the uh, the first testament of the Bible, or even in the Bible, you'll have different interpretations of it. And so part of Jewish culture and Jewish learning is debating what people meant or what that idea is. And so that could be part of this idea of we're all talking and debating and it's lively because all of that contributes to how you understand and, and view the world. Interesting. I'm going to try to incorporate your idea of, of the city in a box. My, my daughter just returned from Brazil. Well, she visited in August. She's dating a gentleman whose sister lives in Brazil. And that's why they went down there. And she has a son who is about my oldest grandson's age. And I think that would be fascinating to help them learn about each other's culture. The, the little boy in Brazil wants to learn to speak English. He speaks four or five languages already, but English is not one of them. That might help him and develop a foreign pen pal for my grandsons and him. That sounds like a fun idea. Any effort like that, there's always rewards and benefits for that. And you do have to, you in suggesting that or people who want to learn about other cultures uh, there is a certain vulnerability because you do need to admit your ignorance. There is always a chance you might offend someone, but really not. You know, that's where the humility comes in. I'm asking you this because I'm actually really interested and I really don't know. You know, I appreciate your sharing. And there's always ways to do research and look at things ahead of time, too. There's so much information 
available that you can even come into conversations already knowing a little bit and then just checking. I read this online. I read this online. Is it really, is that really true? Is that really how it works? People like to share if it can build bridges. And so asking questions just invites that connection. It invites that opportunity for sharing and going deeper. I know my kids last year came home from school with, uh, well, my kids, my grandkids, a couple of them came home from school with dreidels and they had learned about the dreidels in, in their school. I think I'm going to go to the store and buy them for the kids. I'm going to be spending the weekend with them while their parents are out of town and we're having a big sleepover with all the grandkids. So I am going to buy dreidels so we can play the dreidel game and, and find the song, the dreidel song and, and sing it and, and celebrate because this podcast will be December 2nd, but this year, Hanukkah goes from what, November 30th to December, what, 7th or 8th? So it just started on Sunday. It will go until next Sunday. So this past Sunday was the first night. So this coming Sunday will be the last night. So eight, seven, six, I think that's the fifth. Okay. So, so but you know what? Learning how to play, learning how to play dreidel can never, can never go wrong. Um, it's fun. It's like Alec Gimmel. I should probably know them, but there's four different things. You can get really easy rules for dreidel. There's just four sides to the dreidel. And depending on what it uh, lands on, that's how you know what to do with what's with those gold coins in the pot. Uh, and the gold coins, you can, if they don't have them at, actually, they probably used to sell them at Ben Franklin, uh, but you can just order those online really easily. And they're well, the chocolate coins that are, they're chocolate and they're, they're in gold, um, like gold foil wrappers. I've seen them in the store, so they're easily obtained. Perfect. Well, Deanna, I am so happy that we've had this conversation, and I want to wish you and all who celebrate Hanukkah a season filled with light and love. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate your reaching out and asking. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest, or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.